Hi, welcome to the Spiritually Minded Mom Podcast, where every mom can find hope, joy, and God's hand in motherhood. You'll hear interviews with all kinds of moms who are learning how to navigate motherhood. Most of all, you'll learn that you have a partner in motherhood, a loving Heavenly Father who wants you to succeed and is always there to help you in your most important work as a mother. And now, here's your host, my mom, Dara Trendler. Welcome to the Spiritually Minded Mom podcast. I am excited today to welcome my guest, Nora Lee Jones. She is a blogger and on social media, she goes by Mrs. Navy Mama. And that is because her husband is a naval officer and they have three children all under the age of four and they just moved to a new state. Her motherhood's story includes infertility, uh, parenting on her own because her husband is frequently away, and also they move a lot. And I'm really excited to share her story today of motherhood. So welcome to the podcast, Norley. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. We're really glad that you're here. So let's just start off by you introducing yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about your family? I have been married to my sweet husband um, almost 10 years. Our anniversary is actually next month on the 9th. We've been together almost 14 years. We actually met when we were at the same institute class in Memphis, Tennessee. That's where I grew up, and he was stationed there while he was in the Coast Guard. And I kind of desperately needed a date, <laughs> and um, a friend of mine kind of hooked us up. Like there's no, I always thought he hated me to be honest because he's so quiet and reserved and I'm not. And, um, he would just kind of sit back and like, watch me. (laughs) So (laughs) I thought he hated me. I thought I was just too much for him. So, but a friend of mine, we were at a family home evening, um, for the Institute class. And my friend was sitting next to me and I was telling her how much I needed a date to this event. And she said, Oh, well, you should just ask Jonesy. And I was like, uh, no, there's no way he's going to do that. And she's like, Jones, Norley wants to ask you a question. And then she gets up and walks away. I, I asked him on the date and we basically were inseparable ever since. So it worked out. So we got married almost 10 years ago and um, he got out of the Coast Guard a couple years late, or sorry, a couple years after we started dating, he got out of the Coast Guard. He went on a mission. And while he was gone, I went to BYU and finished up my degree. And when he got back, we got married and he was out of the military. So I thought, you know, our life was going to get settled and we all finished our degrees. We got grown up jobs and, and bought a house. And then one day he came up to me and said, I think I need to go back into the military. And let's just say that was not my plan. But after a lot of prayer and, and fasting and temple um, attendance, we both decided that's what we needed to do. During that time, we struggled with infertility. We tried to get pregnant for a long time. Right after he went into his training, I found out I was pregnant, um, which is great. We had done fertility treatments and everything. So they worked and we found out we were pregnant. But then there went our journey on moving every couple of years. Um, Since then, we've had three children. Our oldest is almost four. And um, our middle child, he just turned two in April. And then we have a eight-month-old daughter. So girl, boy, girl. They keep us super busy. And this is, we've moved, I counted them the other day. We've moved six times in 10 years. Wow. Yeah. We just, we just moved like two weeks ago. So it's been a crazy journey. And when you say we moved, your husband was gone, right? Yes. When you moved. So you moved by yourself. Me and my children, (laughs) right. (laughs) Me and my children moved. 
Um, cause my husband just got back. So me and my children moved just a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Weeks. So that, that is really a crazy life. And I said you had three kids under four, but really you have three kids under three. Right? Correct. <laughs> Actually, my, my oldest was three years, three months when my youngest was born. Wow. Yeah. So it's, they're all 19 months apart. Um, very, very close in age. Okay. So, so you mentioned that you, you dealt with a trial of infertility before having your children. So now that you have all these these three kids, you said you had them all 19 months apart. Correct. How did those years of trying to have children prepare you for the stage that you're in now? You know, infertility is kind of a funny thing. Um, especially I feel like in a religious kind of community, it's very faux pas. You don't really talk about it. And I, and I was definitely one of those. I did not talk about my infertility. Most people actually didn't even know about it at all, including our families. Like we just Mm -hmm. didn't talk about it. So why didn't you talk? Why didn't you feel comfortable talking about it? It's, it's crazy because I feel like if I had actually shared my experience, I probably would not have felt the way that I felt, but I, I struggled in silence because I figured no one else would understand. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt broken. Like it's, it's one of those things like as a, as a Latter-day Saint, as a Christian, you're, you're kind of uh, raised in this knowledge of families and how important they are and how you need to multiply and replenish the earth and all that and I felt super broken because it was all one-sided. It was my, it was my infertility. Um, it was my struggle. And so I felt broken on that. So I felt super alone. I felt like no one understood. I felt super broken. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty because I feel like if I had actually shared that experience, and I ended up sharing it later after my first child was born, I started telling people, including, I remember telling my mother-in-law when she was visiting, when my, my oldest was three weeks old. Mm -hmm. And I remember telling her and the look on her face was almost like a look of hurt. And she said to me, I wish I would have known because I would have acted differently and, and supported you and, and all those things. And so in hindsight, you know, it's always 2020 and I feel like because I felt that way and because I learned through that experience I'm now able to, one, be much more empathetic. Um, I feel like I have so much more patience and empathy for people because I feel like I've been there. I've, right. I've done that, you know, and I, it's amazing how since I've had that experience, I've had personal friends and even family members kind of come out of the woodwork that have said, oh, I'm struggling with this. And I'm like, I did too. I can, mm-hmm. like, here's my experience. And I feel like I can help more with that. But then on top of that, I feel like because I went through that, when it comes to my own personal family, I see my children for who they are, which is not always easy. Right. Because they're young and they're demanding and they're children. But I also see how grateful I am for that struggle because it gave me more of a perspective of who these children are, that they are a gift. They are on loan to me from Heavenly Father and they came at the exact time that my husband and I needed them. If they had come earlier, it, or my life would be different, you know, yeah. and, and, but they came when they needed to come and not a moment sooner, because trust me, I would have wanted them a, a lot sooner. Sure. Um, but it's all about his timing and his plan and it's not mine. And I need to trust him as his daughter that, you know, that's was his timing. And they came when they needed to come. And, and now as a mom of three small children, when I'm feeling overwhelmed or alone in my current time and season in life, especially with my husband being gone, 
I can look back and remember those things. I can remember how it felt. I can remember the the trial that I went through. And since my children are so close in age, I feel like as soon as I've learned lessons about motherhood or about timing or about, you know, them being God's children on loan, and I feel like, oh yeah, I've learned this. I'm an expert in this stage of motherhood. Well, about six months later, I'm reminded again <laughs> by my next child uh, that I still have lessons to learn. And I am constantly learning through my kids. Now, that doesn't mean I want to have a fourth one this close in age, but it does mean that they're constantly teaching me that, you know, my lessons are not over yet. Yeah, I love I love what you said about God's timing. You know, we do, it's a lot of times it's just waiting and having faith that he knows what's best for us. And then you can look back and say, wow, that really was perfect. That was exactly what I needed. It sounds like that's what happened with you, the timing of having your children. What's interesting, though, is I remember I remember having a conversation with my sister-in-law um, who also struggled. She basically told me that, well, it's God's timing, so I'm just going to sit back and wait. I remember thinking to myself, shouldn't we do something also? Like, isn't that part of faith is an action? You know, yeah. like faith is, is an action. And so I feel like even though it was frustrating every single month being disappointed and heartbroken and having to start all over again with fertility treatments and having to shell out more money, I feel like because of my actions and me constantly trying, cause I knew we were going to have a family. I knew that I had children up there, um, that, that action also made the positive test even more fulfilling, even more joyful, because not only was I testing my faith every single month and every mm -hmm. single time, but it just I just got stronger as it went on. So by the time I got to that positive pregnancy test, I was ready. I was I was ready to be a mom at that point, I feel like anyways. So so, so you talk about taking action. So obviously doing doing the treatments would be an action. Were there other things that you felt like maybe spiritually or mentally that you did that helped you through that time that maybe would help someone else if they're struggling with that? You know, I, I feel like I didn't take as much opportunities as I could have to learn and grow during that time. You know, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. you know, and looking back, I think, oh, why didn't I do X, Y, and Z before I had kids, you know, like the things I want to do now. So looking back, I'm just going to tell you hindsight, what I wish I would have done yeah. and the couple things that I did kind of, <laughs> I wish I would have taken the opportunity to go to the temple more often because as soon as I got pregnant, I got really sick and then we moved and then I had a baby and then I was nursing and then I got pregnant again, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I feel like I could have grown so much more exponentially if I had just taken the opportunity that I had in that moment. I feel like maybe that's, there's a tiny part of me that wonders if that's why God waited as long as he did. He's like, you're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. You need to do things. Mm -hmm. And I could have grown even more. I definitely feel like one of the things that I did that, and my husband and I did was we took time for dates every single week um, prior to children. <laughs> and, yeah. and we, and it, and it was just super simple things. And I feel like we grew as a couple. I feel like we grew strength as a couple and that makes it where those lonely nights as a mom, when I'm up with a colicky baby by myself, it makes it where I don't feel disconnect with my husband. I still feel connected with him because we took that time. That's six years of being married right. before our first was born. I definitely feel like I wish I, I wish that I had taken more 
time to cultivate my own spirituality in regards to temple attendance. That's probably the biggest thing that I kind of regret. I did read Mm -hmm. the Book of Mormon twice during that time. I remember specifically having the goal to read the Book of Mormon. And since I worked full time and I didn't have children, I basically would just come home and read and finished it. So that was a personal goal I had. But I feel like taking the actions to reach the goal, whether or not it's a spiritual, a temporal goal, a parenting goal, is if you if you don't take the steps and you just wait for things to happen, it's not ever going to happen. And yes. so if you are struggling with a fer- infertility struggle, you do whatever it takes. And if that means taking a couple months off because you spiritually and emotionally need to have the break and not have the pressure, you do that. If it means that you go to every single doctor's appointment and you take every single pill and you do everything that they're asking you to do, you do it. As long as you are moving towards that goal that you have in mind, no matter what the pace is, then you are always going to be moving forward. And the yes. goal the goal will happen. Yeah, I really like what you said about pace. And I have seen it in my own life. I haven't struggled with infertility, but with other things, just, you know, like you said, working towards a goal, that all I have to do is just do something to act. I have mm-hmm. to take some action. And even if it's just a minute little thing, mm-hmm. I can I, I see a pattern in my life where God comes in and helps me see the next step or gives me the strength to do what I need to do. Or that only happens if I'm moving forward, if I'm taking Correct. action. But pace is a good word because it doesn't have to be on our timing. It doesn't have to be yep. super fast or super mm-hmm. slow or whatever. It's just, we just have to do it on the Lord's pacing, but just mm-hmm. take a step and and then it, things will work out. Not always an easy thing to do, but no, but really not. we shouldn't overwhelm ourselves thinking I've got to do something big. You know, if we're just taking a step, he's going to guide us for sure. Correct. I agree. You do. One of the things that I also want to talk to you about is military life, because that is something that I am not familiar with. Um, and I'm sure a lot of hmm. other people are curious about it. So you blog about it. Um, you have a mission to kind of share your life and help other military families. So tell us just a little bit about what it's what it's like to be a military family. So how often you move? You kind of already talked about the moving, but you know how much is your husband gone? How how often are you alone with your kids? My husband's a naval officer. He um, they military life is kind of is is different. And every single branch of the military is slightly different. So I'm only going to be speaking from like the Navy side. Um, but as a when you're a Navy officer or enlisted, um, you have what's called sea duties and shore duties. So sea duties is when you're assigned to a ship or a submarine or a squadron that um, is basically gone all the time. So it's, um, that's been, um, most of our duty stations have been sea duties. We've had one shore duty, which was when we were in San Diego and it was glorious because my husband was (laughs) around more often. I'm not going to lie. I relished in it. And then it just, just as quickly as it came, it went again and we got another sea duty. We move about every two years. That's been the the norm so far. I think it's going to continue to be the norm. Currently though, our billet as a call billet is a military order. So it's where you're located. It's called a billet or a job. Okay. I've not heard that. Currently our current billet, um, for a submarine is for three years. So unless something changes, which, um, most people that are assigned to submarines, they want to keep you on a submarine. So I'm not expecting it to change, but, um, as long as it doesn't change, we'll be in our current location for three years, which just seems like eternity in my mind. It just <laughs> that's, that feels great. 
However, this is also called a sea duty. So this is our sea duty billet. So my husband's assigned to a submarine. So he will be gone at least half of the year, alternating in three month, three to four month increments. And then when he is home, he's gone. He does um, duty, which is when you basically have to stay on base and stay on your ship and stand watch and for 24 hours at a time. So that happens every four days. So, I mean, they're gone a lot, even when yeah. they're home. They're not really home. My life is a military family for us. It's because my kids are so young, they don't know any different. Their, their entire yeah. life has been dad being gone for work. Right. And we do our best to stay connected. We tried to do um, Skyping. We tried to do FaceTiming when he was deployed in Japan. When he was in the dock, he would do uh, Skyping with us and the kids. Uh Um, He's also taken videos of himself talking to my kids or reading books to my kids. And I've played them on my phone for them, especially when my oldest was younger. She would just get so excited to see daddy in the video. I will say though, my favorite thing is actually snail letters, like snail mail letters. So do you have your kids Um, write your husband letters and you mail them to him and he writes back? So he and I actually, we write couples letters. Okay, that's great. That's a great way to document your life. Yeah, I actually have an entire box from his mission and from um, his military experience of just snail mail letters that he has sent to me back and forth. I've always told him if he doesn't keep my letters to him when he when he gets back, he's going to be in trouble. He's he's so awesome at handwriting letters too because he writes little jokes and notes in the margins <laughs> and even draws little pictures in them. It's just it's probably my favorite thing about him. I remember on his mission getting some really great letters. That's probably my favorite thing that we do. And as far as my kids are concerned, we. This year, we actually started writing letters. Um, my oldest is almost four, you know, so she's understanding mm-hmm. about mail and, and everything much more. Baby doesn't necessarily notice, but she loves to see her daddy's picture and, and such. So that's that's how I try to keep them connected. Right. Basically talking about daddy all the time is, yeah. is really making him be a part of our lives, even if he's not physically present. So, so is there a transition? I'm wondering what it's like when he's been gone, let's say for five months and he comes back. Oh what, boy. <laughs> is that a transition? How do you help your kids deal with that? Because I'm sure that's an adjustment as well. It is. It's an adjustment for everybody. It's an adjustment yeah. for me, for him, for everybody. I mean, the biggest thing is reminding them that their dad is right there. Because they're so used to coming to me. They're so used to finding me, to ask me questions. But I have to remind them and say, Daddy's right there. you got to go talk to Dad. Ask him. But also to get him into the groove of being on top of them to knowing what they need. I mean, like, in five months, our infant went from two months to seven months old. That's a huge change. It's a huge change Mm -hmm. as an infant. So all of a sudden, and she's, like, weaned herself since then. She's on different nap schedules. She's on, like, all that stuff. So for – I have to almost – basically teach him everything about this little tiny girl so that way he can be a part of the routine again, you know? Yeah. Um, only to, only to next week, next month to leave, you know, again. So, uh, typically our transitions have been at least two weeks to like get into the group. Okay. So I know there has to be hard days with a husband gone and with these little kids. And one of the things that you mentioned to me was that you have three things that help you get through. So prayer, exercise, and chocolate. Yes. (laughs) I totally love that. I love that. So 
how do those things help you? How do you get through those hard days, the loneliness, you know, the struggles that come along with, I mean, even, even a mom with little kids that has a husband that comes home from work every night is going to have those struggles. So it's kind of double for you because he's not there. How do you get through that? Well, I mean, with chocolate, <laughs> you can't go wrong. I mean, um, in all seriousness, no, I'd say it probably goes in that order of what helps me prayer, exercise, and then chocolates. Prayer is my number one go-to when it comes to harder days. I've not always been the best at saying personal prayers or reading scriptures for that matter. And I can tell a difference between the days when I do and when I don't. I mean, prayer helps me to feel closer to Heavenly Father. And when you are closer to him, you're able to feel his presence more. It's like this beautiful little circle, you know, yeah. of, of it. And have you ever heard the phrase, if you don't feel like praying, get on your knees until you do? Yes. I, I can't even tell you how many times I have like had to say that mantra in my head in order to get through the day. Because sometimes by the end of the day, I'm so spent. I'm like, I cannot, I, I don't feel like praying right now. I don't feel like doing anything except closing my eyes and going to sleep, you know? Yeah. But prayer, getting on my knees and praying and trying to be closer to Heavenly Father, it is the number one way that I get through those days. And because Heavenly Father is always there, always there, prayer is the best way and the most effective way for me to vent, to talk through my concerns, my frustrations, my trials, my triumphs, my mm -hmm. joys, all of that. He has asked us to come to him, to give all of us to him. And never have I felt that I needed his help and guidance more than since I've become a mom. Right. Never have I felt like I needed more. And so that's, that's how prayer has helped me is I, when I get on my knees, whether I want to or not, when I get down on my knees and I pray and I feel his presence, then I don't feel alone anymore. I mean, physically, I might be alone. Temporally, I might be alone, but I'm not really alone. But the only way to be reminded of that on a daily basis is prayer for me anyways. Yeah. And exercise I mean, really, truly, it's all about the endorphins, you know, and feeling better about myself. And I've learned over the years that when I take time for myself and I exercise, I can see a difference in my energy, my attitude, so much better, and just my overall self as a mom and as a person. It's one thing I, I talk about in my blog is the importance of self-care, the importance of taking time for yourself. And because, and it's not selfish, it's not it's not mm -hmm. selfish. Exercising is not selfish. You, I mean, it, it'd be nice to lose 10 pounds, but really, truly, I, I do it because it makes me happier, which then translates to me being a happier mom. That's kind of been a theme that uh, several guests have talked about that on the podcast in the last few episodes. So anyone who's listens on a regular basis, you hear this theme keep coming up about self-care. And it's not about going out to get a pedicure because, you know, I mean, which it can be, but yeah, really maybe. it's about filling yourself up so that you can go back to your family and pour into them. Because I I've, I don't know how many times I've run on empty. And when I run on empty, it ain't pretty. It doesn't work. <laughs> no, it does. It's not pretty at all. And, no. and, I, and I definitely had to be reminded about how important it is to fill my cup. And, that's, and it's not just spiritually filling my cup either, although that's the biggest part. But it's also just temporally. It's mentally. It's emotionally. Yes. Filling that, those empty holes that I have. You know, if I... I don't have a husband at home, then I need to get on the phone and call my girlfriend. You know, if I need right. to talk to somebody and feel that connection with a human being, there, there's ways to do that. And exercise is my biggest way, partly because there's a child watch at the gym. 
Right. So that makes it easy for you. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm neglecting my kids when I can let them go play with friends, you know? Right. right. But also because no one there, there's to me, there's no better way to fill your cup than to get your blood pump in and get your endorphins going because you just, you have more energy and you're able to tackle more. At least I am. No, I'm exact. I can totally relate to that. In fact, if I'm getting a little cranky, my husband will be like, did you work out today? Right. <laughs> like go. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like, it's because it's, it's actually biologically how it works. Too. Right. I'm not just making this up, you know? And, and you don't have to do anything big. I mean, even just going outside for a walk or Yes, movement itself is is a great coping mechanism in motherhood, I think, to help us be our best. And then the chocolate, you just have a stash in your freezer. I actually do. My current love is that dark chocolate almond bark stuff. They have it at Costco and it's so good. Okay, I'm going to have to try that. Oh, yes. I keep this ginormous bag in my freezer in the back where my kids can't get to it. But if they see me eating it, they're immediately like drawn to it. So I have to, I have to hide it. And then the other day, actually, I had a a stash inside my side table drawer by my bed and my two-year-old found it. And I, you would not believe how quickly that kid ate it. So you have to hide it. I have to, I have to. (laughs) Well, one of the things you mentioned earlier was being able to call a girlfriend or, you know, talk to someone. How have other how do other people in your life help you? What's the best way for someone to offer help to you? Honestly, the best way is just to come visit. It's it's really the social interaction I feel like that I need the most and that I miss the most. I don't like to be called super mom because then it feels like other moms might be failing, but I feel like in the day-to-day grind of everything, I have like a system, I have a rhythm, I I can get, but the, the lonely is the biggest thing I have a hard time with. Mm -hmm. And so one of the biggest ways that I feel like I need help with is just to connect with people, to have opportunities to connect with people, to find my own tribe. And, and it's so important to find your own tribe, to find the people that you can rely on and call on and to be there for you when, when I need them. For example, I actually, I actually in San Diego, right before we moved here, I broke my toe and I was trying to get my three-year-old to just go to the restroom and not argue with me. And I turned and I saw my sweet, adorable, crazy two-year-old trying to share, quote unquote, share his open cup of water with his baby sister who was in the car seat. (laughs) So he was basically about to waterboard her without, you know, meaning to. And I ran to go stop him and and jammed my foot. And and broke my toe. And I knew I broke my toe immediately. I, I dropped to the floor um, I, you know, screamed, it was not pleasant. And I hear my three-year-old from the bathroom asking me if I was okay. And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I crawl over to my phone because my phone is up high on the counter. I crawl over on the floor, pick it up. And I knew immediately who to call because this girl never came over to my house to like help me out per se, but she was one of my people. She was in my tribe. I knew that she would be somebody who could drop anything and come to me even though she never had in those two years we lived in San Diego, she never had to, but I knew she could because yeah. she was somebody that I trusted and that we became friends because she would just, we would just hang out and we would just talk and just have that social interaction, have that bond. And I feel like that, that to me is the biggest thing. And so many moms tell me and have told me, and so many of my friends have told me just how lonely they are, how they feel like no one else understands what they're going through as moms. And which is crazy because there's so many of us moms out there who feel exactly the same way. Right. We're all in the same boat. So, 
so how do you find your tribe? What When those people come to you and say they feel lonely, what's your advice? My advice, my biggest advice is not to judge. And I, and I have to tell myself that too. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying judge them negatively as in like, oh, well, she's fat or she's ugly or anything like that. But more, don't judge what they, what you think they're thinking about you. Yeah. Because we don't, we don't know what people are thinking about us. So my biggest way to find my tribe is I join the groups. That's my biggest thing I do. If there's a bunco group in my ward, if there's a book club, if there's um, a military spouse group, if there's a, um, there's here in Washington state, they have like a, a coffee week, like every Wednesday that go out, this group of military spouses go out and, and have coffee at Starbucks. Now I don't drink coffee, but I'll go to socialize sure. because I need to find my tribe and you go where the people are, you join the groups. It's hard. It's hard for me because there's some people like my husband who are very shy, who are introverts, who don't necessarily reach out to do that. But my, my logic and reasoning behind that is just join. They will find you. If you join the Bunko group, that then they'll see your name on the group or they'll see that you're a part of it or they'll see the email and they'll they'll reach out to you. They will. Somebody will reach out to you if you take the step and join the group. Because if you don't if you don't join the group, they're not gonna know you're there. Exactly. That's what I was gonna say is you have to take a step. And it's back mm-hmm. to what we talked about before. You have you have to take some sort of action. You have to mm-hmm. do something like join the group, and then you know you, it, it can progress from there. But yeah, you have you have to do something for sure. You have to join the group. It, it's it's worth it. It's worth taking the step out of your comfort zone. It's worth it yes. because finding your tribe is invaluable, and it's invaluable whether you're a military spouse, whether you're a mom of young kids, whether you're an empty nester. It, it's invaluable to find your tribe. It's so true. And, and it's a two way street. Sometimes you can give to someone else and sometimes they can give to you. Uh, But we all need that connection. I wanted to talk to you. You had, you had talked to me before the interview about the prompting that you had to have your third child. I would love for you to tell us about that experience and, and how you were able to trust God with that. To be honest, Darla, this, it's interesting how this was one of the questions that you wanted to ask me, because this was actually kind of a game changer in my testimony of faith. And and you would think that my infertility struggle would have been like the biggest game changer on faith. But this actually, I feel like at least definitely the most current, but I think it's one of the biggest ones for me. So the first, this, my, my son is my second child. And the first year of his life was really hard. My oldest was such an easy baby. She had no health issues. She slept in eighth grade. And other than not taking a bottle super well, she was, I would consider the perfect child at that point. And of course, I felt like I was an expert at motherhood because of her. Mm-hmm. And I now call her my trick baby, my quote unquote trick baby, because she's the baby that makes you think you're an expert, but you're not. <laughs> Nobody is. She makes you think you can handle anything that comes your way in regards to being a parent. Well, with my son, I did not have that same experience. In fact, actually in the hospital, my husband was like, what is wrong with this kid? <laughs> because, and not because he was a bad kid, but because we both felt like something was off with him. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in social media, I always tried to focus on the positives and, and everything. But in general, I really struggled with after he was born. I struggled with postpartum and anxiety um, he had colic. He had a dairy and soy allergy that just rocked our world. He was grumpy and needy. He cried all the time and he wouldn't take a bottle, would not take a bottle and really did not want anybody but me. I remember one time my husband, when he was three months old, my husband 
thankfully, who was on shore duty, he was home on a weekend and he said, just let me take them all day. I'll get him to take a bottle. Yeah, no, that, that kid Mm -hmm. would not eat until I got home 10 hours late. Would not eat. He tried everything. And then he nursed all night long. You know, it's, it's one of those things. I felt like I was drowning. And I remember around the six month mark, I had this overwhelming feeling that he wasn't our last child. And it was a terrifying feeling. I hate saying that. And I get a little emotional saying that, but I really was like scared. I thought to myself, oh no, no, I can't, I can't do it. I'm already drowning. You cannot tell me that I need to have a third child. You can't like, Mm -hmm. and I, I felt like I felt really selfish. I felt like I had struggled with infertility for so long. And now basically Heavenly Father was granting all my hopes and dreams and I didn't want it, you know, and it, Mm -hmm. it made me feel like a horrible person. You know, at that point I was finally at that six month mark, I was finally starting to overcome my postpartum. He was starting to take solids and I, could kind of leave the house for a couple hours, you know, without feeling guilt. And then to get this feeling, I was like, "Uh uh-uh. So I kept pushing it aside and pushing it away and ignoring it. And about a month later, I remember sitting on the couch and that feeling came over me again. And my husband was sitting in the living room with me and he noticed I was getting emotional. And when he asked me what was wrong and I told him what I, what I was feeling, he reacted exactly how I expected him to. He was like, "Uh uh-uh are you serious? Like, do you not know our son? Like, do you not recall everything that we've been through the last six months, you know? And our daughter was just over two. I I knew it was going to be soon, but I I kept saying like, and I told him, I said, I don't want to feel this way, but I really feel like we're supposed to have another child. And I was even on birth control at this point, which again, I kind of felt like I was you know, slapping Heavenly Father in the face by being like, well, you know, I know I struggled, but I'm going to make sure to prevent this. But because my anxiety, my postpartum was so bad, I just, I needed a break basically. And so I was still on birth control. My husband just, we kind of stopped the conversation because we were both like, "Uh uh-uh, nope, nope. So we stopped the conversation. But the next day he came up to me and he said, I want you to know that I trust you. And if you feel like that's what Heavenly Father wants for us, then I'm on board. And I just like broke down in tears because I was like, I don't know what Heavenly Father wants. I think I... uh..." So I took some time and I prayed about it and we talked about it more and I went to the temple and we decided to take a leap of faith and look into having another baby. And, um, yeah, we didn't even really have to try after that. (laughs) I, I got my birth control taken out and I went to the doctor and at the doctor's office to discuss planning for another child down the road, I found out I was pregnant. Wow. And he was nine months old. I was really, really scared. My kids are really close in age. I had complications with all my pregnancies. I was really putting my trust in Heavenly Father that I would be able to be the mom my kids needed for all three of them and just to keep myself spiritually and mentally healthy. And I have to say, our youngest has been such a blessing. I mean, all my kids are blessings, but she was exactly what I needed for a third child. She was exactly what I needed it, she came at the exact time that I needed. She came while my husband was still on shore duty, you know, current, prior to his last latest leave mm-hmm. and, and leaving. So like he was able to be there. He was able to be there for the pregnancy, which he never was with our other two. He was never around for the pregnancies. He was able to help me with that transition after a C-section, which I wasn't expecting to have to go through. You know, it, the timing was perfect. And again, it's that hindsight where you look back and you're like, why didn't I just trust 
Heavenly Father. But I, I decided to go for it. And I'm so, so grateful I did. And it just broadened my testimony on faith and the Lord's timing and the importance of trusting in his timing. Oh, I, I love that. I think that's a beautiful story. Thank you. And I, I think it's interesting how you've, you've kind of been on both sides of it. You've, you've dealt with the infertility and then you've dealt with these kids and, and knowing that you wanted more, but not sure. And, and, the, but in both instances, you've shown faith and you've shown trust in him. And, and I think that is remarkable and just beautiful. It's, it's, it gives me hope. So thanks for sharing Thank that. Thank so, you. so just to wrap up, how have you seen and felt God as your partner in motherhood? Um, well, to be honest, it's, it's never really been something huge or profound. Um, usually it comes in the smallest of things, the most simple of ways and the most ordinary moments. Most days I feel like I'm just doing grunt work, you know, changing diapers, cleaning messes, making meals that mostly go uneaten, to be honest, mm-hmm. fighting for nap times, um, paying bills, etc. But truly deep down inside, and I've, I've mentioned this before, what keeps me going is knowing that I am doing God's divine work, that my calling on this earth is to be a mother to my children, to my children that he has given me, and that he is going to be there for me no matter what. And like I said, he, he gave me these kids. These kids are my gift. It doesn't mean I have to love every single moment of motherhood. It doesn't mean I have to love every single colicky day or teething baby or late night or early morning. But it means that these kids are my responsibility from Heavenly Father. And he is not going to leave me alone. I get those reminders, those little glimpse of heaven in my kids. So when my middle child, who actually doesn't talk much, um, he's actually in speech therapy, when he asks to say the prayer, and when you know, when no one understands him, mm-hmm. you can hear him praying to Heavenly Father, that right there is a glimpse. That's a tender mercy. Or one time I remember feeling super overwhelmed, and my son was just wouldn't stop crying, and I just started crying myself. And my oldest snuggled up next to me, and she said, she said, it's okay, mom. It's okay to be sad. You should pray because Jesus will make you feel better. And that was such a wonderful reminder of the fact that Jesus and Christ and God, they're they're there for me. And I catch those glimpses through my children in those most ordinary, everyday moments, even the moments where I'm not super proud of myself and how I feel. I think that they're there. Those, Those tiny little moments is when I have seen and felt God as my partner the most. It's, I don't get, I don't get huge bursting, you know, angels coming down kind of Mm -hmm. moments. I get those little teeny tiny ones. And I, I hope I always can be reminded of those. And I, I call them my tiny, but mighty wins because I feel like those are the tiny things that most people might not even realize what they are. They might not understand why they're so important to me, but they're mighty to me because they're for me. They're for my kids. And they're, they're big reminders of, of what I'm here for. I love that. Tiny, mighty, tiny, but mighty. That is so true. And, and it's a good reminder too, that sometimes we're looking for God in such a big extreme way. Mm -hmm. And, and it's not always that way. We can find him in the ordinary. We can find him in the mundane things of our life. I feel like we find him more in the ordinary mundane things. Yeah. We, We see him more there than, than we see him in huge miracles. Not that those miracles aren't there. Um, but that that's not an everyday thing. Yeah. And I feel like if we really look every single day, we can find one of those glimpses of heaven, one of those tiny but mighty wins 
that helps us know that Heavenly Father's with us. I totally agree. And I love what you said about, you know, your kids and them teaching you because he sent them to us, not only for us to teach them, but for them to teach us as well. I know I see that yeah. all the time. <laughs> well, Norley, so thank you so much for sharing your story. I have learned a lot and I am grateful that you would take the time to be able to do this, especially with your husband being home now. So I'm going to let you yes. go so you can get back to, to your family. But thank you so much thank for taking you. the time to do the interview. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I know you have a million things to do, and I'm grateful you took the time to listen to today's podcast. I hope the episode helped you to know God is your partner in motherhood. For show notes, head over to spirituallymindedmom.com. For more motherhood inspiration, follow along on Instagram, at spirituallymindedmom. And if you enjoyed the podcast, share it with a friend. I would love it if you would leave a review and rate it on iTunes. This helps more moms to find hope, joy, and God's hand in motherhood. Have an amazing day, and remember... You are doing God's work and you are doing it wonderfully well.